I used to live my life a quarter mile at a time. But things changed. My father now. I will always be in your heart. Little Brian, I have a gift for you. Your daddy gave me this. Now I'm going to give it to you. It's very special. It's for protection from what's coming. All right, Dom. What's next? No matter how fast you are. I am not too weak compared to you. No one outruns their past. I am more easy. You trying your best to become me. And mine just caught up to me. It's a long time, Dom. So we're up against a master thief. Assassin, high performance driver. Who is he? Jacob is Dom's brother. Your whole life, you pushed yourself to be faster than Dom, smarter than Dom, stronger than Dom. But could you kill him? Because I'm ready if you are. There's nothing more powerful than the love of family. But you turn that into anger. There's nothing more dangerous. Maybe this is the end, but we gonna go out together. You know I'd ride to the death with you. Please tell me that's not a Pontiac Fiero strapped to a rocket engine. Impressive, I know. No, no, that's that's not impressive. My ass is in fuego! Hold on. Tell me you're not thinking what I think you're thinking. There's no bridge. Oh hell no. Nice clubhouse.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. And on deck for today's episode, Fast is back, baby. F9, the Fast Saga, is officially open in theaters across the U.S. I know it's been open for overseas for a little while now, but here in the U.S., the good old America, it's open for the entire audience. I got to check out the 7 o'clock IMAX show where I'm at, so in the main event of the show... You're going to be getting my instant review. I'll try not to be too spoilers on this one because today's movie was a lot of fun. And uh, to be honest, I wasn't really a fan of the last one, The Fate of the Furious, even though this is one of my favorite franchises. I could easily mark out for all of them, right? No, but I always give I, – I try to give an unbiased opinion. And I didn't, I didn't like the last movie. Like there were some bright spots in it, but this one was uh, a little bit of spoilers as far as like my review of it, whether it's negative or positive, I enjoyed the hell out of it. So after that, I will rank all of them uh, minus Tokyo Drift, which I think is the only one I haven't seen. And, you know, that that's my fault. And it's not so much that I just don't want to see it. I just, I don't know. It just never came to it. Like whenever it's on or I never really had it available and never really bought the, uh, the Blu-ray or the 4K or whatever. Um, but after seeing F9, there's, there's a lot of stuff in there that really does tie back to Tokyo Drift. So I, I think I will probably finally check it out, even though I have, I'm not really lost on anything that's going on currently with this franchise. Um, so that one I'll leave out of my rankings. But yes, so I'll rank all eight movies. So yeah, that, that'll be coming after my main event review of this movie. But a, a couple of stuff to get to, because apparently a lot of trailers dropped while I was in this movie tonight. You know, I got out of it and I saw there were trailers for Halloween Kills. New trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I think I pronounced that right. Sorry, Marvel Marks, if I got it wrong. So I'll talk about that in just a bit. But I want to talk about the box office a little bit. It's going to be uh, interesting now with Fast coming out and then Black Widow in a few weeks. These are like two of the biggest franchises that we have, right? The MCU and the the Fast movies have really become like um, they're, they're safe bets, right? Like they're guaranteed that they're going to make money. But now that we're in this like pandemic era like the bar is kind of like lowered now in terms of like how much it's going to gross so right now the record holder is a quiet place part two which made about close to 50 million uh, on its three-day opening weekend maybe four day including the holiday um so they hold the record right now and godzilla versus kong did uh about close to that amount uh earlier in march but now you got like way bigger movies so this is going to be the bar this is going to be the real test to see if audiences are going to come out in droves and, and I know we're not going to look at anything past a hundred million for anything this year. And I'm just being realistic because it's going to take a while. I think for everybody to fully be back, even though theaters have been packed, you know, for movies like the conjuring, um, not so much for in the Heights, which I feel bad for. Um, and even Hitman's wife's bodyguard, not really a big movie, but you know, still had a decent enough crowd, at least when we had our showings. Um, but we're going to see how fast, nine and uh black widow perform i'm predicting and i'm gonna put it here on record because you know it's open yet but we don't have any numbers i'm predicting 65 million and somebody told me that that was like a such a high-end prediction i was like no it's not it's really like a low end because if this were if there was no pandemic involved there was none of that this movie i guarantee you would be opening to 100 plus million same thing for like maybe Black Widow. But now like we're uncertain, but we're going to get a better gauge with 
with these two upcoming movies and we'll see how F9 performs. Obviously it's going to be number one at the box office. Um, I was reading up earlier this week that it's Fandango's most, uh, pre-sold movie, uh, out of everything that's, uh, upcoming. So, and that includes, uh, A Quiet Place Part 2, which already is in theaters right now. So it's looking to have a way bigger number. So just how big does it open is going to be the, the, the key. And of course we'll find out probably, you know, Saturday, early morning and then, or maybe Sunday, you know, the way the numbers are released now is very different as opposed to it was before the pandemic started. But yeah, um, let, let's talk about some of the box office failures uh, a little bit. So Conjuring came out, right? It had a little bit of a, it had a, you know, a pretty decent opening considering the times that we're in right now. And it beat out A Quiet Place Part 2. But then it dropped like hard the second weekend, which I predicted, I said on the show, was going to do that. So that one fell off. So that one's kind of a non-factor anymore. A Quiet Place Part 2 has actually held up pretty well. But what's what's going to help A Quiet Place Part 2 and movies like F9, one studio's from Paramount, the other one's Universal. So Paramount has set like a 45-day limit release. So you're only going to be able to see it in the theaters before you're able to buy it on Blu-ray, on-demand, digital, whatever. Universal has an interesting agreement where if movies gross like more than 50 million, which I think F9 is a sure bet it's going to do, then theaters will get to have more exclusivity for it and get to have it longer. So F9 has a chance to have longer legs for us on the business side of things for the theaters. Um, had it done below 50 million, which I don't think it's going to do, it's possible, but I don't think so. Uh, movies like, like for example, Nobody from earlier this year, that didn't make as much. It was a small hit considering for what it was, but it didn't make enough for the theaters to keep it as long. So it, it headed to on demand and, uh, you know, purchasing on Voodoo and all that stuff way, way faster. So, um, for those of you that are so into like the streamings of the future and all that stuff, you, you want to hope that F9 doesn't open fast. So that way it'll go to, you know, streaming quicker but this is too big of a franchise this is a movie that you want to go out with a huge crowd and and enjoy the characters and all the crazy insane action and all that stuff so i'm expecting it to do pretty well so 65 million is my prediction so remember that folks and uh, i'm not tooting my own horn but i've become really good at predicting box office numbers um so we'll, we'll see if i still got it again we're we're in a new era now like so the expectations are a bit lower again the the movie that maybe might do over a hundred million, and this won't come until the end of the year. And again, more people will, will be vaccinated by then, so it's some more likely possibility. Is probably Spider Man uh, No Way Out. I know it's called No Way Home, but I'm gonna call it No Way Out because I'm a wrestling guy. That just it reminds me of that. So that's what I'm gonna call it. Deal with it, you little Marvel marks. Um, so that's the only one that I can see possibly doing over a hundred million during its opening weekend and even then that's going to be like a christmas movie so it might open during the week or you know a couple days earlier you know so it, it might be a harder thing to achieve but that's the movie i'm giving the best shot to so we'll see f9 and then black widow in two weeks we're gonna see what we're gonna see what's up but let's talk about uh, a couple of new trailers that released while i was in f9 tonight uh let's start with halloween kills which is coming uh, a couple years after the the one they I don't know how many times have they redone Halloween like this is like the tenth fifteenth one you know the horror movies can go on forever and ever and ever right and it's like man like 
the last I saw the la- the last one that they did, and I think Danny McBride was behind it and all that stuff. And I mean, it was decent enough, but it wasn't like wow, because like, how much can you really do with a with a killer that you know never dies and always comes back, and it just it it becomes all about for these horror fanatics like how gory can the can you know the kills be? And like for me, that's not horror. Like I don't know the gore like that just doesn't do it for me. But I am interested in this upcoming one, Halloween Kills. Just I just saw the trailer right now, so just first gut reaction. There's always got there's got to be a hook, right, in these things for me. Conjuring, I saw it for the benefit of this show, but I wasn't there was nothing about it that got me hyped for it. So as I'm watching this, right, Jamie Lee Curtis is back. You know, she's the original from way way back in the day, and she's fine to watch, but you know, it's kind of played out. But a, a little stickler from from the '80s is uh, is popping up in this movie. A gentleman by the name of Anthony Michael Hall, who, if you remember, is, uh, you know, one of the classics from, you know, The Breakfast Club, 16 Candles. He's all part of that, you know, the, the I forgot, they called the Rat Pack back in the day from the 80s with Emilio Estevez and Judd Nelson, all those guys. And he's going to pop up in this one. And he he's, you know, done a lot of small stuff, like in the like latter part of his career. You know, he had a very small role in The Dark Knight, you know, one of the greatest movies ever. And uh, he, he had a very, very small role. But seeing him in this looks like he's going to have quite a bit of a role in this movie. And I'm, I'm sure this won't be like a long movie either. So I'm sure he'll have quite a lot to do. So there's a hook for me. There's a hook for me into this movie and, and me wanting to see it. So Halloween Kills, sure. Anthony Michael Hall, See, I, I saw him like waving around a bat in the trailer. He looks like he wants to kick some ass and go at it with Michael Myers. I'm sure he'll die because, you know, Michael Myers kills basically almost everybody. Um, so that, that'll be interesting. And this could be, I'm an October baby. Okay. I'm a Libra. This could be the biggest October of all time. I know we're in the pandemic era, but still like a lot of movies are coming out. And this is like the most stacked October I think I've ever seen in my life. Cause it used to be back in the day, like, you know, after summer ends, you know, after August is over, like September, October, like you kind of get like whatever movies. Yeah, you get some horror in October, but, you know, that comes towards the latter part of, of the month. And then things don't really kick off until like mid-November, right? Like right before Thanksgiving. But this October, man, this fall is going to be incredible. So right at the tail end of September, you got Venom. And then the week after that, you're going to have, they just moved Hotel Transylvania away from summer. Which is like a, that's like almost one of those guaranteed like kids hits. I mean, it's the fourth one, right? And these, they've made a decent amount of money. So they're moving that to October. So that's going to come a week later and, uh, it's going to go up against the Adams family. I've never seen two animated features like aimed at kids coming out on the same weekend. I'm expecting maybe the Adams family maybe to move or it'll just go to streaming. I, I forgot who is the studio behind that movie. So. Um, that's going to be interesting to see. It also comes out along with Dune, which Dune won a big lawsuit or something of that sorts over HBO Max as far as like them doing the day and day streaming and theatrical release. So Dune will be an exclusive to the theater. So for the diehards that are really looking forward to that, I mean, I think that movie will do all right. But now that it's a theater exclusive, like now it gives people more incentive to go to go out into the theaters. Um, and then you got James Bond's No Time to Die. I saw the trailer for that uh, in the IMAX tonight. Uh, that got me re-excited for it. I hadn't seen the trailer in a very long time, and I saw it again, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I remember I was going to be pumped for this one. And that was one of those movies also that the the previous entry were like, I hated it. Almost wanted to walk out of it. And th- but this one looks really, really good. 
So you got that. And then you got, uh, gosh, what else is coming? There's the Halloween, right? I just talked about that. So that's going to be a sure, you know, hit. And then, uh, there's just a lot more stuff coming in October. And I'll get to that eventually when we get down the road. But just those, you know, all those movies I listed are all coming week after week after week. And it's going to be, it's going to be pretty crazy. So it'll be a, I think it'll be the biggest October ever, uh, as far as like, since I've been following movies and tracking box office numbers and all that stuff, uh, I think this will be an all-timer for October. But back to the next trailer that unleashed during um, my F9 viewing, and that's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is going to be a new um, entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, I'm not familiar with the comics or anything like that. Is Again, Marvel's really entering a new, new phase where we're, we're seeing a lot of unfamiliarity. But me, I, I like to look at the box office numbers of it all. Now, they put a lot of risk into doing Guardians of the Galaxy, right? But the way they marketed that was very smooth with music, you know, very retro music, very like Star Wars-like style. Uh, and then you added the, the comedic humor. And plus, you still had well-known actors in it. You had Chris Pratt, you know, Batista was popular in wrestling, you know, in the late 2000s. So he was kind of a known commodity you know, and then you add the voice of Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel. You know, they attach their names a lot to that property. So that way you had familiar names being uh, heard as, you know, the marketing was going on. So it was a risk, yeah. But it was also, like, not, like, they didn't cast complete unknowns, okay? And I'm looking at this Shang-Chi trailer and Aquafina is, like, the only person I really know that's in it. And I know it's, it's mostly an all-Asian cast. But even then, I don't know who a lot of these actors are, so... The story's going to have to be really, really good for me to attract me to it. Same thing for Eternals. You know, I know it's got Angelina Jolie and, you know, some some of the actors from Game of Thrones who, you know, some coworkers of mine couldn't even name the actors. And I'm like, there's no movie stars anymore. And they're like, no, but the Game of Thrones people are in it. Well, it's like, well, name them to me. And they couldn't do it. So that just proved my point. So Sama Hayek's in it too. But, you know, these people aren't like bona fide movie stars. So... It's going to be interesting to see where Marvel is going to find, like, their next big star. Like, of course, that probably could have been Chadwick Boseman to lead the Black Panther and everybody else into the future. But, you know, obviously he passed. So, you know, and I don't think Brie Larson is there yet as Captain Marvel. Tom Holland, like, how long is he going to want to play Spider-Man? Like, he's going to be growing up too soon. So it's like looking at the next 10 years for Marvel – and with everything that they've been doing on television, which I'll I'll actually address that in just a bit. I don't I don't know. Marvel's entering a very weird phase, and it's like, is the audience going to keep up? Are they going to want to like get into the weirdness of it, or the very like geekiness of it? Because we're going to start to enter very to the very hardcore fan base uh, of comic book lovers, right? We're like, of course they're going to know what it's about, right? But it's about like who. Who, what, how are you going to attract like the entire audience to keep up with it? Like you have to have a big star attached to it. You know, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans led the way in the first phase. So who do you have to anchor this next go around? And where I think DC is going to start to get a leg up is that they're getting nice cast together for these movies. Like the, the Flash movie that I thought was never going to happen. And there's been a lot of news on it lately. And you know, you got Michael Keaton returning. As Batman, you got Ben Affleck in a spot there. You know, they're bringing back Gal Gadot for a cameo and all that stuff. And then, you know, they're going to get Aquaman rolling. And, you know, that was a big hit a couple of years ago. So it's going to be familiarity. So that's going to do well. 
the upcoming Suicide Squad, they've attached a lot of fun names to it. You know, John Cena looks to be a show stealer in it. He's He's got a show coming out of it. So that goes to show that they have a lot of faith in him. And, uh, you know, was it Margot Robbie returning as Harley Quinn? You know, she's already established that that's her role. So, you know, DC is bringing in some heavy hitters into these roles. And Marvel, I know they're they're the leaders and whatnot. But, again, they're starting to venture off into this very, very, like, new, weird territory where it's going to get really weird. And that's where – and but – you know, will I watch Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Yes, but am I excited for it? Like, do I want to go opening night? Probably not. I can wait. Same thing with Black Widow. Like, I know the character. I love Scarlett Johansson. She's great in the role. But you know, a prequel movie. Like, we know what happens to her, guys. Like, so what does any of this matter? And I know some of it will tie into whatever ends up down the road. I'm sure this is set up for like new characters to be, you know, take the mantle. Like, I know Florence Pugh is is in this movie and i'm excited for her i love her career at least what she's done early so far but i don't want her to be stuck in in this world for like this is all that she she does for the next 10 years like man she's a a way better actress and she's way i don't want to say she's above this stuff but it's like she has more to offer than to just be stuck in the mcu so but again these movies that are coming up like eternals i'll watch but there's nothing hooking me. Even the television shows right now, like I'm watching because they're this there available to watch. You know, I have Disney Plus. You know, a majority of it is because my daughters love to watch the shows that are on there. Not necessarily the MCU stuff, but a lot of the other stuff. Um, so I, I watch the Marvel shows, and they've just been like, you know, they're they're fine. They're they're whatever. And uh, there's been like some standouts some in some shows. You know, Loki started off really great. And this past episode, like, just really bored me. And uh, and I know it's not filler. There was a lot of character development and a lot of interesting stuff revealed in it. But it was missing a key component of what was making the show work. And that was the dynamic duel of Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. And Owen Wilson was nowhere to be seen in this episode. And that just goes to show you that his presence is making this show pop. And, uh, you know, Tom Hiddleston is great, but, you know, his Loki needs someone to bounce off of. And Owen Wilson was the perfect, you know, casting choice for it. So just note, Marvel, like, if you're going to do, like, a small – I know this thing's only six episodes. Like, don't give me any more of no Owen Wilson. He needs to be involved and he needs to be, you know, bantering with Loki. That, that makes the show roll and, and, and going. So. so this week, you know, Loki really let me down. So uh, hopefully they bounce back. But anyways, um, let's take a break here. Covered a lot of stuff. Um, new trailers. Uh, box office is continuing to grow. Uh, real quickly before we go to break. Uh, In the Heights didn't uh, fare well at the box office. And it was marketed fantastic by Warner Brothers and HBO Max. I cannot fault them at all. It's just, you know, sometimes stuff on the internet that feels like it's going to be a hit. Like all the wording was there and the positive word of mouth. I think it almost had like a... I think it still has, or maybe probably not anymore, but at, at one point it did have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And again, that's not necessarily always indicative of everything, but a lot of the critics did like this movie. But, you know, the people just didn't show up for it. And especially in the theater that I'm at, like, it completely tanked, like, to the point where I was like, wow, like, nobody showed up for this movie. And I think, I know we have less screens in the theater that I'm at, and it's no longer going to be there anymore. So it was only like a, what, it only had like a two-week life. Like, gosh, like, I feel bad. Because it was a very, 
it was a diverse cast, you know, it was led by a Latino, his, or, you know, or just of that descent, right? Like, you know, I'm always pleading for more roles for Hispanic and the Latino community. And, and it sucks that it didn't show up. Even though I wasn't interested in the movie, I wanted it to do well, right? Cause then that just puts more faith and let's cast more Latinos. Let's, let's get that ball rolling. Where's the first ever all Latino cast movie? You know, you know, we're still waiting for that, for that day to happen. Um, but yeah, sucks for in the heights. So that, that didn't, you know, perform as expected. Hitman's wife's bodyguard, eh, did what it, what it was going to do. And now it'll, it'll just drop off. So again, the fate of the box office is our, all eyes are on F9 and Black Widow these next few weeks. So be on the lookout for that. And I will keep you updated on that as well. But let's take a break. And when we come back, my review of F9, the fast saga, which is available now in theaters, only in theaters everywhere. We'll be right back. The end. Nobody hear the sirens? All crimes now legal forever. It's the real purge. The forever purge! Help me! Welcome back to the show, and the Forever Purge opens next week in theaters along with the Boss Baby family business. It's just going to be week after week after week for us working at the movie theaters, which is a good thing. We love it. Uh, let's get the people back into the theaters. Uh, let's get back to fun, right? The movies, as Vin Diesel <laughs> said in that promo. So let, let's get to it, right? Vin Diesel's back. F9, the fast saga. Um the whole cast and crew is back. You know, if you've seen these movies, you know, if you followed along, you know, if you really learned, it's not really so much like what these movies are about anymore. It's really you come back because you enjoy the characters, right? It's the same thing for the for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? For all for all of those marks out there that are like, oh, the, the Fast and Furious movies are so ridiculous now. It's like, really? Like, is that far off from what Marvel is? Like, really, the whole thing was about stopping a purple alien. From collecting rocks to destroy the world. Like, that's freaking far-fetched as, as you can get, right? And even then, those, those infinity stones or whatever, as we learned in Loki, like, they're a bunch of nothings, right? In, in the context of everything, of how ridiculous all of this sounds. So calm down when you want to, like, you know, diss the fast franchise for, like, how silly it is. And it's like, oh man, it's not even about car racing anymore. Yeah, you idiots. It's called evolution. It's called adapting. You gotta change with the times. You gotta grow the franchise. You gotta do different, you gotta try different things with it. You know, Mission Impossible's done it, which is why they've kept up and they've, you know, continued to make money with each entry because they try different things. And that's what Fast and Furious has become. Like, imagine if we're, we were heading into the ninth movie and it was still about car racing. So all you idiots out there are like, I mean, I wish it would go back to that. Like, no, that, that, that would be boring as shit. So yeah, I'm all for like, all these different weird, like it's, it's basically Mission Impossible is what it's become. It's just more fun and, and not as serious about it. But the thing about Mission Impossible is that they do it with a lot of style. So that's why that's awesome. But Fast and Furious has all these different elements going for us. You have all these different types of characters, all these different elements of like family and, you know, it's all relatable, right? We can all relate to that. We, we, we all love family and friends and that, that's, that's so easily like, accept it as a theme and narrative of the whole franchise and they really dive into that in this one which i didn't think they were going to do 
Um, so this one, I think, was as loaded with story and and more mythology building as, as I've seen in, in any of the previous uh, Fast and Furious movies. So this one I was more pumped for because I, I said at the beginning of the show, I wasn't a fan of the Fate of the Furious. And uh, again, my biggest reason, and I'm sure it, it was for a lot of people, uh, my favorite thing about the Fast and Furious franchise was Paul Walker's character, Brian O'Connor. And sadly, you know, Paul Walker passed away during the filming of Furious 7. So, you know, I was wondering, like, man, how are they going to continue this on? How are they going to, you know, move it forward? Because he was such a vital part of that franchise. He was one of the biggest characters. He was the first one to come back to the sequel. He was the first one that did part two. So it's like he's like the original, like, heavy hitter. Like, I know, yeah, Vin Diesel is, like, the star and all that, but <laughs> people forget, like, he didn't come back for part two. That was that was Paul Walker. So, you know, let's not forget that, though. Don't try to rewrite history on that. But I'm not hating on Vin Diesel. I, I like, he's decent, um, and he's good. Like, this is his Rocky Balboa, right? Like, we're always going to remember him as Dominic Toretto. Like, that's just his character forever, and they keep doing different things. So I'm all for it. But, again, they brought in a lot of different characters that you've grown to love. You know, Tyrese Gibson as Roman, Ludacris as Tej. You know, they keep adding people to, they added Kurt Russell to the mix. They brought him in in part seven, but he's been such a fantastic addition, like, as these little, like, supporting characters. And I know they used him in the MCU, but man, they've, they've used way better of his talent in this, uh, franchise. And I'm gonna go out on the limb. I'm gonna say the Fast and Furious franchise universe world building that they're doing, and I know I know it's all restrained in the confines of that one single storyline. Even though we had that Hobbs and Shaw movie, which ugh, whatever, um, it's a lot more fun and a little bit better than the MCU. I mean, F the Fast and Furious franchise for everyone that likes to poke fun at it, it really does it itself. And especially in this one, they do a lot of that. In this movie, it's very self-aware and it's making fun of itself in the process, which you can go along with it because you make the audience laugh and they make you laugh at the stuff that's going on. And it's intended to be that way. So they don't it, even those like the the stuff that they're going after, like, you know, stopping like nuclear weapons or world domination, all that stuff like it does seem serious, you know, as the movie's going on. But also, like, they, they wink at the audience and they're like, we know this is ridiculous. Like, there's, it's, it was teasing the trailers of them going to space. And there's a big climactic part in the third act where it's like, oh shit, they actually, they fucking went for it and they did it. You know? And, and people have joked up. It's been a thing online. It's like, oh man, what if they go to space? Or, and it's like, they freaking, the filmmakers listen. You know, Justin Lin is back. He's the one that did Fast Five and Fast Six, or basically everything since Tokyo Drift up until that point. So he he's very familiar with the franchise, and he's grown as a director. Like, he did a fantastic freaking job with Fast Five and Fast Six. Like, those are probably still the best in the whole series. And again, you'll get my rankings a little bit later on. But, man, he mastered that. And then he went to go do, like, Star Trek Beyond. That was part three in that series. And he did a hell of a job with that, especially like with action sequences. Like this guy knows his shit. So when I heard he was coming back for this one, I was like, oh hell yeah. I'm not going to have to worry about the action. He's going to cook up some fun stuff. And there's a lot of great action sequences here where, um, in Fate of the Furious, where like, I don't know, I feel like, you know, I, I like F. Gary Gray as a director, but some of the sequences were kind of just like muddled and just very forgettable. And then of course the very climactic scene with the submarine and all that stuff, it, it all felt too fake. 
And I know there's a lot of CGI in these movies now, but the way Justin Lin mixes the two, there was a lot of stuff that was done here that looked practical. Like as far as like the way he does car crashes and stuff like that, I think he's mastered that perfectly. And it looks coherent too. It's not all out of place. So as you're watching these action scenes play out in F9, they're very well like choreographed and, 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 and it's shown perfectly on the screen, like to the point where it's like there's a lot going on, but you can follow all of it. So that's where his strength comes in. And, of course, um, John Cena being added to the cast. Now, I'm a huge WWE fan, and uh, I've considered John Cena to be one of the most important people in the history of WWE. Like In terms of like it's still staying relevant in the picture, uh, as far as like in the mainstream, Like he had a very long tenure there. So I am grateful for him as a fan and... I knew eventually he was going to branch out and try different things because he has that type of charisma. And he, you know, he was a breakout in, you know, was it Judd Apatow's train wreck, you know, comedy. And then he did blockers, right? More comedy. He's freaking hilarious. Like, he's such a talent. I think he brings a lot more versatility and different uh, dynamics than, like, Dwayne Johnson because, you know, I, I like The Rock, but, man, he does the same shit. Like, John Cena can at least try to bring layers to it. So when I found out he was going to play the villain in the, in this movie, I was like, man, like, what is he going to do? Like, haven't seen him play that. You haven't seen him play it in wrestling. So is it going to be believable? And he does a pretty decent enough job. And they do a, a lot of backstory in this one. We get a lot of flashbacks and origin to when Dominic Toretto was a young kid with his dad and all that stuff. And, you know, you heard rumblings about it way back to the original movie, which was 20 years ago, right? Where Dom's telling Brian the story about how his dad died and all that. And here we finally get to see it play out and what happens. And all the connection with, with Dom's brother and and John Cena. And they play that very well. And, you know, the, you know, you don't go to these movies for the acting. But, you know, John Cena does a pretty convincing job of of being, like, the villain. Uh, he, does, he does the part the way he's supposed to do it and how it's meant to be. Like, it plays perfect for the story. So a thumbs up on that. Thumbs up on Justin Lin returning. Uh, I don't want to give away um, the whole thing with Han and how that, that's explained. But it's explained well enough to where it's like, okay, makes a lot of sense. And then there's a lot of connections with all the other stuff that they've, they've established. Like, you know, Kurt Russell's character of Mr. Nobody plays like a huge part of everything that's going on. Even though he has like a very brief appearance in this chapter of the series. But the way they use these characters in and out, like they can just position these guys to come in and out. Um, Helen Mirren returns and, and I know she really wanted to be a part of this franchise and she's a very like, you know, she's done movies like The Queen and all that stuff, like just very like, she was into like gravitas stuff, right? Doing all these heavy dramatic movies and she wants, she's a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise and she lured her way into a role. She's the mother of the Shaw brothers. So again, that's Jason Statham and, um, Who's the other guy? Forget the other actor's name. Uh, Luke Evans. Um, <laughs> that comes to me. It's weird how that happens. Um, so she's plays the mother to him. And again, there's a lot of stuff like that's, I mean, this is, they tell the story that they're going to tell in this one, but then they leave a lot of, you know, breadcrumbs of what's to come. Cause I think there's going to be two more movies before this thing. Like it has an ending. Like I think Vin Diesel has a ending for this main storyline. I don't know if they're going to do like more Hobbs and Shaw movies and or if they're going to spin off any other characters. Like they could spin off the John Cena character if they wanted to. Like that's how cool and I think a, a great addition he's been to the franchise. Um 
won't spoil everything on that. And then, of course, Charlize Theron returns as Cypher, the villain. Uh, she has a pretty smaller role in this one as compared to uh, Fate of the Furious because the more focus was here was on the sibling rival- rivalry between Dom and, and Jacob Toretto, played by John Cena. So they do that well. Even Jordana Brewster comes back into the fray. She's Mia. Uh, obviously, she's the character that's tied to Brian O'Connor. They explain all of that well and how she comes into the picture. And she had a, she, she was kicking ass in this movie, which is something like that was awesome to see, even though like you remember her from the first movie where she was just working at the tuna shop. And then in fast four and five, like she becomes like this kind of like tech girl that can look into databases and stuff. But here you get to see her finally get physical in the series like she can whip some ass and uh and i guess that makes sense right because she had dom and jacob as you know siblings so i'm sure she learned how to fight at some point but it was nice to see her finally get involved in the action as opposed to being like a you know just a damsel in distress which she had basically really been in up until this point but here she held her own uh there's a great sequence with her and michelle rodriguez where they're fighting off like a bunch of like thugs and it works None of it was like, oh, this shit is, like, stupid. But even then, like, even if, if it is stupid, like, whatever, cool. Like, you're going to see women kick ass and film just as much as the guys do. And, it, and it's not, like, thrown in your face like girl power. It's just It just happens. Like, her just starting to whip ass, like, it just happens out of nowhere. Like, and, and it just flows. So, again, I, I enjoyed this movie all the way through. Again, it's very loaded in, in terms of, like, I think this is the most story-centric Fast and Furious movie I think that there's been where they're throwing a lot at you but it's not a lot to the point where you're like well fuck like I don't know what's going on like everything is explained perfectly everybody's role is perfect in what they do um I'm excited for the next installment like they they left a this will be I'll tell you this much do not leave once the credits roll like there's there's the main like you know cartoonish credits right where they're showing all the you know the cast credits but don't leave because right after that, there's a mid-credit scene, and it sets up. I don't know if it's going to be a spin-off movie or if it's just the next phase of the, of the of the storyline in the main in the main uh, series. So F9 was a hell of a lot of fun. John Cena brings some life into it, some much-needed juice. Um, what I hated ab- about the Fate of the Fear is one of the uh, as I rewatched it the other day or last night, I should say. Um, they brought in Scott Eastwood and I totally forgot. He was a totally forgettable character. But the way they inserted him into that movie, it was kind of like, uh, here's a makeup for, we don't have Paul Walker, so we're going to throw in another guy in there just to fill that little copish role, but he's got like some edge to him or, you know, crossing that line. And I thought it was so stupid. It was a dumb movie. They should have never done that. And here, John Cena, you know, as the villain, just brings a different dynamic to it. You know, he can, match up to dom physically so it's believable and again i'm not going to give away everything that happens in this movie there's a lot of i don't want to say twists and turns but like there's some stuff where you oh cool like i didn't see that coming uh or maybe or maybe you're just smarter than i am and you know sometimes i can like turn that little part of my brain off as far as like trying to figure out everything like just let it play out and if it, sometimes you when you do that you'll be surprised more and it makes the movie experience a little bit better so I did that for this movie, even though some of the stuff like, oh, you can see where this is headed, but just let it play out. But again, a lot of fun. This is a great summer movie. Um, it's going to have legs in the theaters. It's going to make money. So it's going to be a theater exclusive. So I would suggest, you know, if you haven't been vaccinated yet, go get vaccinated and then 
Head out to your local Cineplex. Go check it out in the IMAX if you can. Because also, folks, if you go see it in IMAX, you get a five-little-minute preview of Jurassic World Dominion, which is coming next June. And I think that's going to be, like, the biggest movie of that of next year. Like, bar none. Um, nice little teaser there. It's a nice little scene that's played out. Won't, won't spoil that either. So if you go and see... F9 in the IMAX, you will get a, a five-minute exclusive sneak peek at Jurassic World Dominion, which is coming in June 2022. So that's just a neat little bonus on top of a very, very fun, fun movie. So F9, The Fast Saga, I highly recommend it. If I were going on Letterboxd right now, I would rate this at a... I'd almost give it a three and a half. Three and a half stars out of four. Because it did everything it was supposed to do. Is it high-end cinema? Is this going to win Oscars? No. But it checks off every box that I that it needs for me. As far as like a great like watch. Whether it's in the cinema or definitely a rewatch at home. Like I'm going to rewatch this movie for sure. Probably one more time in the theater just to not overkill it. And then I'm definitely going to buy the 4K when it gets released later on. Probably later in the year. Uh it, it was that fun. So I highly recommend go check it out. It's opening this weekend. That's why I'm trying to keep it like not, I'm not trying to spoil too much here in my review, but it's a lot of fun. Go check it out. It's a blast. Uh, and yeah, that's all I'm going to say on that. Go check it out. F9, the fast saga. Uh, I, I wanted to hit that 65 million target. So hopefully I still got it box office wise. And let's take one final break. When we come back, I'm going to rank the fast movies, all the ones that I've seen minus Tokyo Drift. You'll see where they rank in my, uh, as far as like what I, what I think is the best one in the series. So that'll be coming up. Let's take one final break. This is Palace Off the Top Rope. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show and Black Widow's coming to us in two weeks on July 9th. Again, this is the one that I have personally my eyes on. Not in terms of like wanting to see it. Like I'll see it, but you know, it's whatever. But in terms of like how things are going to look going forward because this is a big, huge Marvel movie, right? And it's also being released not not just in theaters, but on Disney Plus, but not for free. You're going to have to pay a $30 premium. Now I'm thinking, like, are the really geeky diehards gonna pay thirty dollars just to watch it at home? Some of them are probably going to because they they just want to be ahead of everybody. Um, but and I know it's gonna do well because it's an established character. But let's say the numbers not incredible. Like, is Disney gonna look at like it being like, oh, cool, like maybe we can just shift to. To streaming, I don't know. This one's gonna be this is the most important one. I think more than like Fast Nine because we know Universal and their deal with uh, how it's gonna work going forward as far as like the window. But Disney could dramatically change everything, right? So that's why I'm, I have my eyes very paid more attention to that in terms of like the groundwork of this could be like what what's gonna happen in the future. So I could be overlooking it, but or overthinking it, but you know. Again, my eyes will be focused on that a lot 
in the next two weeks. Um, so this week we celebrated the 20th anniversary of the first Fast and Furious film, which came in 2001. So this franchise has been around for 20 years already. And they have eight or nine movies out, but one I haven't seen yet. So, but I'm going to, don't worry folks. Um, so I compiled a list of ranking orders of what I think is the absolute best and from best to worst. Or, you know, there's, you can pick a lot of things. I mean, I'm not going to say that any of them are bad because they have moments in them, but there's some that are definitely way better than the other ones. Um, so I'm going to start my countdown working backwards. So I'm going to go from eight to one and that eight being like the absolute, like the worst of the bunch. Um, the Fate of the Furious comes in at number eight. That came out in 2017. This is the first one post Paul Walker. Um, it's like, how is this franchise going to move forward? And, you know, The Rock was kind of a, a little bit of a supporting character in the seventh installment. But here he gets second billing. And there was a lot of rumors of him having onset beef with Vin Diesel. So there was a lot of rumblings about that. And then the story also was just kind of like didn't do it for me, which is one of the big reasons why I have it ranked so low. It just didn't hit all the marks for me. The soundtrack's great and everything like that. That's They probably put out one of the best soundtracks in the whole series with this one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's way below what, you know, what I'm usually expecting out of this franchise. But there's a lot of nice moments in it. You know, there's more of Kurt Russell's as Mr. Nobody. Um, we get to see the, uh, Bad guy to good guy transformation in um, Jason Statham's uh, Shaw character, Deckard Shaw. And we start to see the dynamics between him and, and Hobbs, played by Dwayne Johnson. And that eventually leads to Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, which I'm not considering part of the main storyline, which is why it's not on my rankings here. But even though it's still part of the Fast and Furious like world, but it's not indirect with the main storyline so again I'm, I'm only ranking these movies in terms of like the main narrative that's going on uh so that's that's at number eight at number seven is 2009's re reboot you could say fast and furious so this comes eight years after the original and we had had the sequel with paul walker minus vin diesel and then we had tokyo drift which was kind of like was supposed to be a spinoff but it turns out it is actually part of the main storyline even though there's none of the main characters in it there's side characters like the han characters introduced here um and uh but this version this fast and furious version was i looked at it more i liked it a lot when it came out in 2009 don't get me wrong it was nice seeing all of the main cast back together again but when you watch it, it it feels like so incomplete and that's because I look at it more as a prologue, like the entire movie is a prologue because it's really setting the stage for what's where where the franchise was going to go in terms of like the future. So once Fast Five and Six came along, you're like, oh, OK, it was setting up everything for this. It tells it tells a story, right? It, this is the fourth one. So it tells a story, but it's really setting the stage for like what's to come. So that's why I also have it ranked uh, really low because it's not really complete. It was just more of a reintroduction and um and just setting the stage for what was to come at number six furious seven and i know probably some of you are thinking, how do you not have this ranked higher it's it's the final one with paul walker and uh you know that tremendous tribute that they do at the end and all of that is is awesome and the way they say farewell to this character 
you know, if it didn't bring a tear to your eye, like you're a liar. Like, especially if you're a fan of this franchise, like it, it stirred up all the emotions. This is still the highest grossing uh, of the entire series. And of course, a lot of it was due to like, what are they going to do with the Brian O'Connor character? And, you know, they ended that pretty beautifully. And I'm going to give this movie a lot more credit than I did originally when it came out is that I, I guess, you know, sometimes I can get over critical stuff. And there was a lot of like, I was really paying attention to it and I didn't mean to, but th- I just couldn't help it. But I could really tell in the movie, like where they, you know, DA, not DH, where they, cause, um, Paul Walker's brother had to step in and fill in some scenes as Brian O'Connor. Cause obviously Paul Walker passed during the filming of this movie. Um, so they had to digitally put, uh, Paul Walker's face on, on the brother. And again, the technology at that point was still not perfect yet. I think that it's come a long way and Marvel's has shown us that, you know, just go watch like the Ant-Man movies, the way they de-age Michael Douglas, uh, the sequel, they did that a hell of a job with Michelle Pfeiffer. They did it with Kurt Russell and Guardians of the Galaxy volume two. So it's come a long way and they can do that now. And, you know, it doesn't look as cheesy, but back then it still was like in the early stages. So I noticed that a lot during my first watch of it and I nicked it for it, but I shouldn't have because, you know, James Wan did as best as he could. And in my rewatch of this movie, like, man, this thing could have been a complete disaster, but they really worked around it. But I still think like the, the villain, which was of course, uh, Jason Statham's Deckard Shaw at the time, even though he eventually turns. But, you know, all of that is very confusing as far as, like, his involvement in the story and stuff out of place. And, again, I can't fault uh, the director entirely just because this is what he had to work with. And they made as best of a movie as they could. But in terms of, like, what they've done before and since then, like, yeah, I, I, I'm going to nick it a little bit. But... I still give them a lot of credit for accomplishing what they did and the way they sent off the Paul Walker character of Brian O'Connor. So Furious 7 at number 6. That came in 2015. At number 5, Too Fast, Too Furious. The follow-up from the original, which brought back Paul Walker. Vin Diesel didn't return for this one, as I stated earlier. So again, remember who came back first. Um, And here we saw the introduction of Tyrese Gibson's character of Roman Pierce. And Ludacris's, uh, Tej. I forgot what his, his full name is, or character name. I just know him as Tej. Um, the, this is just, a, it's a way more colorful movie. It's a lot more set up in the daylight and stuff like that. I know there's a lot of Fast and Furious movies that are in the daytime, but this one, it feels like all of it is in the daytime. I know there's maybe one or two night scenes and it's very colorful and it's like neon and all that. So they, they really like Batman Forever did. Like the first one is so, such a throwback to like point break and stuff like that. Just uh, the the setting of it just feels like we're finally turning into the 21st century. Like you could tell it's in the early stages, but too, too fast, too furious really like hams it up in terms of the cartoonish. And uh, I remember it made a lot of money in 2003 when it opened. Uh, I didn't see it in theaters. I didn't see it till like years later, but um, I I think it's just fun. Paul Walker does a tremendous job in the leading role, even though he's like the co-lead, uh, uh, whenever Vin Diesel shows up, like he's able to match him, like you, you know, frame for frame. But in this one, he does a good job on his own, and his his dynamic with Roman Pierce, Tyrese Gibson, is is pretty good. Roman's a little bit more of a hard ass. He has to play like the Vin Diesel tough guy, so he has a funny edge to him in this one. But here, he's more tougher. 
as the movies went on, like he he's kind of like just like the the walking punchline, right? Like he's more he's more comedic than tough guy, but that suits him for the role. Like you need to have that, um, even though everybody has their funny moments in this series. But he's really the one that throws all the one liners. Um, but here he's more of the tough guy. But you know, it's just a it's in terms of like story, it's probably the most cheesiest and dumb. Uh, but I still like it a lot. Um, I rewatched it, and again, it's just a, it's a fun, like, hour and 45 minute movie. Like, it feels like separate from the world, even though it's still in the main, in the main storyline, but it just feels like its own little, like, you, you watch them all in consecutive order, and you still think, like, man, Too Fast, Too Furious kind of really feels like out there on its own little island. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Uh, you can comment if you feel the same way, but definitely, like, there's something different about it, and, I don't I don't know what it is, but it's got its own little like thing to it, and I like I like that. But it ranks number five, um, and number four is the original one from two thousand one. Uh, I think that one still holds up just because I love the friendship between Vin Diesel and Paul Walker, and that how that chemistry builds throughout, and the the uncertainty, and like is he loyal, is he not, and then when he finds out, kind of like it turned into like Shakespeare at the end, like betrayal. Like when he finds out like, Oh, he was a cop the whole time. Like all that part of it still hits. And then the other characters are cool too. You know, some that we've seen pop up later in small parts. Um, and then some that have just never been seen again, like Jesse and, you know, um, you know, Hector has a little bit of a, this is probably like his biggest role in the whole series, but, um, yeah, a lot that movie still works. And, uh, again, it's super cheesy in the, in the story because in that one, right, they're stealing just like DVD players, right? Like that's the running joke. Like, oh shit. Like they went from stealing DVD players to robbing banks in Rio and stopping nuclear weapons in London and all this, you know, just how silly it's become. But that's the only thing that's dated about it is the whole DVD players. Cause even then it's like DVD player, like shit, that's like freaking like, Makes the movie seem ancient. Um, but yeah, the movie still plays fully for me. I rewatched it this week and I still like it a lot. Number four. And number three, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put in the newest chapter, F9 The Fast Saga. Again, it, it just hit all the right beats for me. Like, it was funny. The action was tremendous. The, the drama was good enough. The story was just good enough. Like, I mean, it just kept rolling. There wasn't, there wasn't a point where I was like, oh man, like, what are they doing here? Like, let's just get the ball rolling. Like, no, everything, everybody played their role perfectly. They brought in, there's a lot of characters in this movie, but some of them, like, they just come in for a quick scene here or there and then they're gone. But it's good enough. It works. And, and I think this is going to hold up on rewatch. Uh, and again, the addition of John Cena, uh, just brought back a little bit more life to it. Not that if he wasn't in it, would it have been as interesting for me anyways? I, I, it's going to be hard to say because he's just a big part of the story and uh, it, it turned out to be a really, really fun movie and it's high up there right now, especially with the Justin Lin back as directing and you'll see like the next two are directed by him as well. So number two, I have Fast Five. A lot of people will say this is probably the best one in the series and I can't really argue that because I have this one neck and neck with, obviously you're going to guess what my number one is. It's neck and neck with Fast and Furious 6 and I guess I can talk about them both in the, in the same uh, breath. Um, so fast five is like, holy shit, like this, this is like the dark night, right? This is like where it really changes what fast and furious was. Like it went from simple, like car racing, like simple, like 
theft of like DVD players to like, oh shit, like they're, this is like mixing in Ocean's Eleven. This is the first time you got all, basically all the cast from all the different movies together in one movie. So it had that very all-star feel to it. And again, very Ocean's Eleven type where everybody has their role and then they pull off this tremendous like heist and it was very well very well directed. And this is the first time, like, Justin Lin had directed Tokyo Drift and uh, Fast and Furious from 2009. But it's like, man, is this guy really, like, the guy for the job? And then you saw, like, the set pieces he was doing. Like, like the opening train sequence in Fast Five is incredible. That whole selling point of Fast Five was that shot of Han, or not Han, of, of Dom and Brian driving off that huge cliff. And they're hanging on in the car and then they're just flying off that cliff. Incredible scene. Uh, and then of course the whole, you know, the, the heist with the vault and they're dragging it with the two cars. Like there was just a lot of incredible action sequences, but I think it's even, you know, the stakes are raised even more in Fast and Furious 6. The, that plane sequence in, in the final act of that movie is to me still the best set piece in the entire franchise. I watch it. I'm still like engaged so much. Everybody involved in that whole thing. Um, and then it has one of my favorite tropes in movies where it's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So in Fast Five, Dwayne Johnson's character of Hobbs is introduced and he's on the trail of Dom and the whole gang, right? So he's pretty much uh, foes with them throughout the entire movie. And then, of course, he teams up with them at the end, right? Because we all knew that was going to happen. It's The Rock. Um, and then in Fast and Furious 6, like he needs them on a mission to help him out. So they got to team up to fight an even bigger threat. So again, that's one of my favorite tropes in movies. And again, the set pieces and Justin Lin is just hitting on every note with the action sequences. Um, just a lot of fun stuff. It starts to get more international. You know, they did the stuff in Rio, but then again, they're jumping from, you know, country to country. And again, it's getting more global. Stakes are getting bigger. You know, they're tying up everything with Tokyo Drift, which I still haven't seen. So uh, so they do that, and they tie that in all nicely. Um, has a very dramatic moment with where they lose the Giselle character, and it's like, oh, Gal Gadot is a great addition to the team, so it sucks to lose her. But at some point, like, these movies got to have, like, stakes, right? They got to have – there's got to be consequences. There's got to be dramatics, you know, to, to drive the story forward. But So, yeah, I think Fast Five and Fast Six are very close together, but – and it could switch on a day because there was a while, like, when I saw Fast and Furious 6 for the first time, I was like, oh, there's no way it's going to get any better than this. Uh, I've held it in such high regard. And then a couple years later, I watched Fast 5 again. I'm like, oh, no, actually, this one's the better one. But then on my final rewatch this week, just to get a fresh set and see if my opinions have changed, again, I do have Fast 6 above Fast 5. But, of course, I think why it has the edge is that final plane sequence, and I know it's fucking ridiculous. I know it's like everyone's like, how long was that runway and that fight sequence? Who cares? Like, suspend your disbelief. That's the magic of movies sometimes where, like, you not everything has to have logic all the time. Like, if a movie's playing itself too serious, like, yeah, you can poke fun at its logic. But when it's a movie like this where it's like, dude, it's a bunch of, like, street racers and, you know – Guys who work in car shops that are trying to stop a nuclear weapon. Like, that's crazy in itself. Like, suspend your disbelief a little bit. So, I'll throw it a bone and I'll, I'll give it a pass for that whole, like, oh, that, that, that runway was ridiculously long. Who cares? The, the action is fucking awesome in that scene and everybody is amazing in that final act. So that, I, that's how I have it. 
So let let's uh, let's go over the list again. Fate of the Furious at number eight. Fast and Furious from two thousand nine at number seven. 2015's Furious 7 at number 6, Too Fast, Too Furious at number 5 from 2003, at number 4, the original, The Fast and the Furious from 2001, at number 3, F9, The Fast Saga, I know it just came out, everyone's probably going to be on me for it, but I thought it was really high-end directing from Justin Lin, and again, the addition of John Cena really, really gave it more juice. At number two, Fast Five, the one that was the game changer and just took this series forward into the future. And then at number one, Fast and Furious Six, which I think was Justin Lin's like best directed of the of the franchise. We'll see. I think he's gonna come back for the final two movies. I think they're gonna shoot back to back. I think that starts next year, I believe, or not this year. Uh I know this series is gonna come to an end, I believe. If they're gonna do more spin off movies, who knows? But definitely gonna I'm definitely more pumped for for the next two that are going to come up, especially if they keep John Cena involved. And, of course, uh, well, I won't spoil anymore, but <laughs> it's going to be fun to watch. I, I can't wait. They they injected life into this, and they definitely rebounded after the Fate of the Furious, which, in my opinion, was the worst of the whole series. Uh, but those are my rankings. Uh, if you agree with them, cool. If you think... Um, one should be over the other. One should be ranked lower. Another one should be ranked higher. Let me know. Again, this is all this is all subjective, guys. Like, this is just my list. I'm confident in it. If you want to poke holes in it, cool. But you're not gonna change the way I think. How I feel about these movies. You know, I like what I like. I know what I like. I'm confident. So I'm confident in this list. I liked F9 a lot. So yes, it's ranked high. Get over it, geeks. It's a fun movie. Please go check it out this weekend. And again, I hope I hit my mark of 65 million for opening weekend. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So we'll see how it does. And, um, my spinoff series is, uh, it's about to hit a nice little roadblock because we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I'm going to be doing that episode with Brandon McLaughlin. That's going to be coming next week as we approach the July 4th weekend. So be on the lookout for that. I know I had some movies that were supposed to be on deck for for the spinoff series for the 90s films turn 30, but I'm going to put those on hold so that way we can get to the actual release anniversary date of Terminator 2 Judgment Day with Brandon McLaughlin. That's coming up next week, so be on the lookout for that. Um, that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, you can follow this podcast on Spotify. Search Palace Off the Top Rope. Hit that follow button. I do share this podcast link through my social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through podbean.com. You can download the app or you can listen to your iPhone. If you're an Apple person, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave me that five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. Also available on Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and uh, Google, I believe, also. Again, I'm trying to make this podcast available on as many platforms uh, so that way you can get your daily or weekly dose of Palace. And, again, uh, I'm super excited. Just, you know, the movies, the movies, the movies are back. That's my horrible Vin Diesel impersonation. They're back, baby. We're going week to week in the summer here. And before you know it, you know, we'll be at the end of the year and Spider-Man will, will, will be in theaters. So it's going to come. It's going to come fast and furious. Unintended. Thank you guys for joining. Um, have a good weekend. God bless you.